You are listening to the Horse Radio Network, part of the Equine Network family. Greetings all. Regulars to the podcast will have guessed already that Debbie is out and about. She is gathering intel for upcoming episodes. So sit back and enjoy this episode originally posted way back in 2014, featuring the likes of Aiton Beth Alchemy, Richard Winters, Dr. Robert Miller, and Tom Spaulding. Plus, Monty Roberts explains what ritualistic habituation is. This is Debbie Lauks, and you're listening to The Horsemanship Radio. I have my producer on the on the line with me, Glenn the Geek. Hi, Glenn. Hey, Debbie. I'm so excited about today's show because it's it's going to be a first, actually. We've done roundtables on other shows before here on the Horse Radio Network, but we've uh-huh. never done one, one, with this many people, and two, with this many icons and legends of the horse world. All they at the really same are. time. Woo! I hope we stay on. <laughs> yeah, I hope the uh, I hope that the technology holds up here. That's right. That's right. Well, they're going to be rocking on this. I I am really excited to hear what they've got to say. I've got just a couple of powerful questions, and then I'm going to let them uh, rule the world of of uh, experience in horsemanship. And I just I'm so excited. People are going to recognize these names. I'll introduce them really quickly so that we can get right into the meat of today. Yeah, and now, before we do, I you know one of the things they're going to be talking about. To be honest, I've never heard of, and that's light hands horsemanship. Can you explain to me what that is? Oh yeah, I'm really excited about that. You know, th- there's a little history behind it. Uh, we were at a trade show in Sacramento, California, in 2006, and there was a gentleman, a vet, a veterinarian uh, from Brazil, walking around saying. Boy, I love what's going on in the natural horsemanship industry. I love uh, Monty Roberts and Robert Miller and these guys that are leading the way in the Western horse world. And we want to have a part of that in Brazil. And so what he did was he invited, they had to pay their way down there. Um, Dad was actually committed at that time, so he couldn't go down. But Robert Miller and many of these guys uh, all linked arms and went down there and just on their own dime and in their own uh, way, uh, spread the word down there with this. Fernando Rollum is the vet's name uh, to help introduce natural horsemanship to some of the uh, veterinarian organizations down in Brazil. And that really started a seed plowing that um, has grown today to um, thousands and thousands of followers of natural horsemanship in Brazil. And remember, Brazil will tell you that they had some of the most mm, violent, I don't have a better word for it, ways with their the training of horses, but they really want to change because they recognize it. The light hands horsemanship began as, hey, we can't go down there to Brazil every year. We got to do something locally. And there is a gentleman out in San Inez Valley who uh, volunteered his farm, Intrepid Farms, and they've been doing it for years out there, six, seven years, I think. And uh, they're going to probably move it now because there's limitations to the farm. There's so many people. I think they've had 14 countries represented in the last one that they had in the spring. So they're going to do it again this year for the last time at that farm. And then they're going to, they're going to surprise us where it's going to be next year. Uh, but many of the people that have been involved are going to stay involved. And, uh, they are some of the icons in the industry. Everybody will recognize their names. Very good. And do we know when this is? Uh, I will put the dates up on the, it's in May. I'll put the dates okay. up on the show notes. Oh, very good. 
Yeah. All right, let's hear who's going to be on today in this uh, unique forum. Well, today, first I'm going to start with Eitan Beth Alchemy. He's a cha- a lot of people will know him from Western Dressage or Cowboy Dressage. He's the originator of that, and he's one of the founding clinicians of light hand horsemanship, Eitan Beth Alchemy. Then we have Richard Winters. Richard Winters is, a lot of people have, see him as a host of HRTV's uh, Richard Winters Horsemanship, but a lot of people also know him for road, he's won super championships all over, cow horse competitions, uh, road to the horse challenges. He's also won the Monty Roberts Equitarian Award for outstanding achievements in human and horse relationships. So he's a well-rounded guy. Monty Roberts, my dad, the man who listens to horses, he's a his whole life was spent in the saddle training championship courses and competing in nine worlds champions to his name. And, and then we have Robert Miller, an icon, of course, Dr. Robert Miller, a veterinarian. He's uh, renowned in the uh, etiology and natural horsemanship, founder of uh, many, many books and a cartoonist as well. Great sense of humor. Um, mostly known, I think, for imprinting, full imprinting. Has a great system for that. And lastly, we have Tom Spaulding, our fifth. Rounds out. Tom Spaulding uh, has an amazing uh, uh, business called Predator. And uh, his you can go to his website, you should see. But mostly he is, for this conversation, he is a lover of the horse and he is also sponsor of the Light Hands Horsemanship Clinic. Uh, support him. He's he's doing a great thing for horses and for barns. <laughs> yes, and for barns. <laughs> Those flies. Uh, he was pretty cute. He said, you know, a lot of people get into industries where they uh, come up with a need and then they fill that need with a product. He said... Everybody knows if they need help with flies. <laughs> so, <laughs> that is true. Has yeah, it's a family business. It's very cool. And I hate to tell everybody in the north, but we already are, are in fly season here in Florida. So oh. we have the fly mask and the fly sheets on already. I hate to tell everybody that. Oh, they're already hatched. <laughs> Yuck. It means you have good weather, though. That's yeah, that's right. That's right. Well, let's hear it. Let's, uh, let's get the round table going. Hands-On Gloves is the number one ranked multi-award winning patented animal shedding, bathing, grooming gloves that animals prefer for their generous massage that they provide. Hands-On is currently expanding to bring you revolutionary new animal products as well as high quality, effective gardening gloves and tools. Hands-On Gloves will change the way we tackle everyday animal and gardening activities, making those efforts faster and more effective. Whether you have a house full of cherished fur babies, a garden full of prize-worthy vegetables, a ranch of prized livestock, or the best rose garden in town, Hands-On Gloves provides you with the tactical tools you need to get the job done right. They're non-abrasive with flexible round tips and strong nylon fabric. They make the perfect grooming gloves. Find Hands-On Gloves at your local retailers or at handsongloves.com. Welcome. I've got five of the most amazing group of men in the horse industry all on one phone call today. So we have a really special, special show for you. 
This is going to be, um, this was prompted by the fact that there is a wonderful clinic that's put on annually in the San Inez Valley where I grew up and it's called Light Hands Horsemanship. And these, all five of these guys have a lot to do with that. But more importantly, all five of these guys are amazing horsemen. And you'll recognize each one as I introduce them. You'll recognize their name because they're famous the world over. My first guest today is Bob Miller. Um, he is our, he was really our patriarch of this group, and I think he'd be okay if I said that. Hi, Bob. Hi. So I'm the patriarch. Uh, it's I, a pleasure to be on with a group of truly great horsemen, and all of whom are just really special people. Thank you, Bob. And uh, next we have Aton Beth Alchemy, and a lot of people know Aton from his performance at WAG. Say hi, Aton. Hello, everybody. I'm here, and I'm really glad to be part of the discussion here today. Thank you for joining us. It's an honor. Next, we have Richard Winters. He's probably our um, our youngest. You're you're just our little kid in the group, huh, Richard? That's right. I'm the junior officer, but I'm an awful good company. Deb, thanks for having me on today. Uh, well, you've still got 30 years plus under your belt, so um, yeah. And then, lastly, we have. Um, we have Tom Spalding from uh, Spalding Labs. We'd like to say hi because he is our sponsor of Light Hands uh, Horsemanship, and he's a lifelong horseman as well. Hi, Tom. Hi. How is everybody doing? It's a pleasure to be here. And actually, I'm not so much a famous horseman, but I'm the infamous bugman. Ah, that's true. That's true. Well, all I can say is, thank God none of you have the same name. We're all, there's not two Bobs or two Montes. So, uh, lastly, I'd like to introduce my dad, Monty Roberts. Hello, it's Monty Roberts here from Solvang, California, where we had over a half inch of rain last night. Yahoo! <laughs> we're, we're really a drought, uh, we're in a drought season right now, so I'm really glad to hear that. Uh, as long as we don't start needing boats soon, and I don't think we will. Well, thank you all, <laughs> thank you all for joining us right now. I want to go back through the list again before we get into uh, just a forum and open conversation about this. And I'd like to ask each one of you, starting with you, Bob, please, what do you think are the bi- biggest misunderstandings in the horse world right now? Well, I don't know about right now, but I think the uh, the misunderstandings that exist today uh, are the same ones that have existed throughout history. Uh, I actually think they're less today. I think we're making great progress, and that's uh, understanding the nature of the horse and how best to communicate with the horse. Uh, basically, uh, we're two incompatible species. Uh, we are biologically speaking a primate. We're a tool using primate. Uh, we're hunters. Uh, and uh, the horse, of course, is a prey animal and it's, it's not armed with horns, uh, weapons like many prey animals are. Its defense is flight, so it's a very timid and very flighty creature. So when you put an aggressive, tool-using species like the human together with a timid prey animal, uh, you've got an incompatibility. But the horse, because of its unique personality, that despite unnecessary aggression uh, and roughness uh, in handling them throughout history, 
uh, has managed to become the most useful of all domestic animals, the human species. Uh, that's what's remarkable about the horse. Mm-hmm. But now we have the information uh, that certain individuals have always had throughout history. But now it's becoming generalized where more and more and more horse people are understanding that you do not have to be unnecessarily coercive to the horse, unnecessarily inhumane, that uh, you can get better results, more compliance Mm -hmm. by using very gentle methods. And uh, this, what I call revolution in horsemanship, uh, is spreading rapidly all over the world. And it uh, it's the greatest thing for the horse. Yeah, nice. Great. Thank you. Well said. Uh, Monty, can I ask you next? What do you think is the biggest misunderstanding in the horse world? But that's a good thing, isn't it? When there starts to be unanimity of mm-hmm. thought, uh, when people are coming together um, with an understanding that obviously we didn't have enough of for 6,000 years since we domesticated horses. Um, Bob and I go back a long way, and um, we have visited many times on this very subject. So please let me mirror uh, what Bob has already said, because I agree with and and attempt to promote globally the exact uh, statements that Bob made. Mm -hmm. Um, I guess if I had to just say some words and and try to be uh, an individual, um, I would say the the greatest misunderstanding has been that we can we can force or demand from through violence uh more effectively than any other way uh the horse is learning and that's uh simply f- coming to the fact that it's it's not true um but apparently for 6000 years that's how we felt and um all of us that are on this line have seen some incredible, unspeakable uh, violence and force put on an animal, but it's causing them to want to rather than to force them to. I'll stop and leave some space for the other guys. That's great. Thank you. Eitan, I'd like to jump to you. When we, when I think about what the, the misunderstood or people don't understand is some terms that we use today at the natural horsemanship especially, and one of them would be the lightness. I think that people's concept of lightness uh, direct into their hands and rein, and they don't see the whole picture. Uh, a lot of a lot of us think that if we throw the rein away or we ride without a bridle, we are light. And I think that we need to emphasize and keep forcing the whole idea that lightness is not just about the head. Lightness is about the way you think, the way you are behave, the way you use your body, the way you use your soul, the way you have your relationship and the harmonship that you have with the horse. That's what lightness starts and that's what lightness not necessarily ends. I think that another way to look at what we are missing, and I don't know if we're missing, but it's a lot of people look at horsemanship as a science. I kind of like to think it's more like an art form 
because to me, to have a horse and don't have the artistic ability to find the connection and draw the picture rather than make the picture, mm-hmm. it's something that we need to look into it and find out how to do so. And I'm going to stop here and let somebody else to continue that. I love that. That's beautiful. Thank you, Eitan. Well, Richard, would you like to take a stab at it? Well, it is a great question. I'm enjoying hearing what these gentlemen have to say, but it will allow me to use now the biggest word that I know. I think one of the biggest Mm -hmm. misconceptions and problems that people have is that they think about their horses anthropomorphically. That that word means applying human attributes to something that is not human. We're so comfortable thinking in human terms, and this is how it makes sense to me, and this is how I can get my head around it, but that might not have any relevance at all to our horses because, as Bob mentioned a little bit ago, they're just coming from a, a completely different mindset and world. And so I'm constantly trying to look at the world through my horse's eyes and not apply my thought process, those processes, the way I would consider things, don't, don't stick that on my horse. Uh, there's a reason why they do things. People get frustrated. They say, oh, stupid horse, stubborn horse, whatever. Uh, but if I could begin to understand where he's coming from, then we realize, well, there really is a reason why. He's trying to protect himself. He's trying to stay alive. And ultimately, once he can survive, he just wants to be comfortable. Uh, and so I want to work on my equine linguistic skills. And that's what happens at Light Hands Horsemanship, uh, talking about this language that horses already know. We're not going to teach them anything, but we're going to work on ourselves for a lifetime to see if we can't figure this thing out. That's great. I love the communication in that, too. That's wonderful. Well, poor Tom. He's had the most time to think about it, though, in fairness now. What do you think, Tom? That's true. Well, hey, I'll be the the, the cleanup uh, speaker. Um, My perspective would be from, you know, not the people that that these four guys have talked about are people that are horsemen and they kind of understand and they know. But what I think is a big misperception is the people that just know a little bit about horses. And it's in some cases, it's just, you know, get up and get on and ride. And, and, and what they're missing and the misperception is this wonderful relationship that you can have with a horse. I mean, it is way more than just getting on and going around and, and riding and going somewhere. Um, it's just, you know, it's the relationship that you can have with this very, very smart, um, and, and, uh, uh, creature that will basically could, could be your friend and can be your friend, and then how that relationship can really help you, if you're a better horse person, become a better people person. And I and I think that most people that when they think about horses, just don't really know that wow, there's way more than getting on and go giddy up and go ride. So that to me is a a misperception to probably the greater community that doesn't knows a little bit or doesn't know much at all about horses of how wonderful. Um, a sport and how wonderful an avocation that basically equestrian era is. Mm-hmm. Very good. Yeah. Uh, thank you. Thank you for that. And now I'd like, I mean, I hope you're all thinking about what you'd like to ask each other a little bit and have a conversation, but I'm thinking that I'll go back through and I'd like to ask you if you feel that like I do, um, that horsemanship is going in a good direction these days. It's a little bit like Bob said at the top, that a lot has changed and uh, there are a lot less misunderstandings than there used to be. And I think you, you all have nailed the misunderstandings and major points that people do getting into the industry. Uh, our, 
our um, audience is composed of a lot of people that are just getting into the industry. They want to advocate for horses. They love horses and they just want to be, um, they want to do right for their horses. So Bob, how do you feel about the direction that horsemanship is going? What do you see? Do you feel good about it when you wake up in the morning? Do you think we're better off? Well, no question about it. Uh, it, it is truly a revolution uh, because it's changing methods that we uh, have mostly used for thousands of years. And uh, there's, a, there's a reason that it's happening now. Uh, in our society, uh, it, compared to, say, a century ago, uh, most horse people are educated people today. That wasn't necessarily true a century ago, and many of the people working full-time with horses were actually illiterate. Mm-hmm. So the, the opportunity for education is there today. The, the media, uh, the communication that we have today, uh, video, uh, the Internet, uh, jet airplanes so that these clinicians can fly all over the world and spread their knowledge and share their information uh, so th- these are the reasons that it's happening now uh, and why it didn't happen uh, in previous times. And I add another fact, and that is for the first time in human history, women today dominate, numerically dominate the horse industry. Mm-hmm. And I'm generalizing, but as as a rule, generally speaking, women, because of their nurturing instinct, are uh, more sensitive uh, to the feelings of the horse. Uh, They're more receptive to these gentler, kinder methods of horsemanship. And while it was a group of men and cowboys, of all things, in the Pacific Northwest that started this revolution, Mm -hmm. uh, it was the support of women uh, attending their clinics, buying their videos and their books, uh, that really launched the thing. Uh, the men came aboard uh, in greater numbers as time went on. Uh, we see uh, remarkable changes, uh, and it will continue to change and continue to improve. It's one step forward for civilization. That's wonderful. Who else can jump in there? What would you like to say? Well, since I was second the first time around, I'm going to grab it again. Okay. <laughs> this is this is Marty here. Um, I, I was interested in uh, Richard's comments, and certainly echo Bob again. Uh, I think this female domination, if you will, of the horse industry has changed things. Women, females, and our species are nurturers and. They inherently don't want consternation. They don't want fuss and fight. Um, so they quickly learn how to do it in a different way. And uh, Bob is absolutely right that uh, uh, those first guys, the Dorrance brothers, etc., uh, while they just took a step in one direction, man, I mean, I think that's all we needed, you know, and... The one thing I would hope for is that the next generation of the kind of people that would call themselves clinicians um, don't become, you know, too wrapped up in themselves because the next generation ought to get better or we're not doing our job. 
And I think we need to leave it so that the next generation can move right on up and, and keep your mind open that there are ways to improve. Man, I make mistakes every day, and I want to keep telling myself about my mistakes and trying to get better. And I just came, just arrived back from Australia where I met a young man. You will all hear about him, I promise you. He won't, you won't hear him because he doesn't hardly say a word. But his name is Ryan Pendergast, and I mean this kid is a genius. I'm not sure where he learned it all, but I know that an atheist would have a hard time following me around because some things are happening like that God's up there just turning the knobs. And when Richard, when Richard used the word anthropomorphize, um, th- th- that's one of my fears um, that as we, as we do get a softer look, a more intelligent look at um, at the horse industry. Uh, I, I think we have to really be careful not to try to make them so human that we fall in love with them and bring them in the house and have them sitting up at the table and stuff like that. You know, uh, you you guys all know what I'm talking about. That um, particularly, I spend quite a bit of time in England, and the the elderly ladies of England. Man, they believe that their their horse is uh, their second cousin returned, yeah. you know. And, and uh, <laughs> so, I think we have to leave them be a horse. That's as God intended. And they they are horses. They do have these differences, as Bob said that the, they're incompatible. Um, I don't think he means that we can't become compatible as we know horsemanship to be. I don't think Bob means that, but. Our very nature is incompatible. In fact, it's just the opposite, one to the other. Um, and we, we just have to be careful not to anthropomorphize. But by the same token, we need to learn more about their language, the communication. And as Eton said, stay light uh, mm-hmm. with it all. Mm-hmm. Nice. Eton? Well, uh, I'm kind of overwhelmed a little bit with with a lot of things, but I really believe that uh, when we talk about the future and about where we're going with it, I think the clinicians in this country did a tremendous job bringing up at education level that it's sometimes really uh, hard to reach. I think part of the success that clinicians have is because they have a good uh, students. I think the the horse community uh, almost demanding education, and by doing so, they produce good clinicians. Uh, I always thought that uh, that uh, education is be the the biggest part of what will make us succeeding with what we try to to preach. Uh, you know, it's a fact that the horse show industry lost a lot of people because there was no education there. It was all about winning. It's all about ego. It's all about the prize. It's all about the blue ribbon. I think that what we come in the last few years, we saw that people start investing money rather than in the show industry, they put it in the educational industry. That's why the, the expos and the clinics and we can go all over the country and preach because people get their money back. Mm. And I think that's something that we need to look forward, not abusing it and not taking advantage of it and really produce good generation of teachers. Mm. 
Well, you know, let me just dovetail on a couple things that I've heard here over the last couple moments. I believe that Aton stressed the idea that this is an art and it's not a science. And then um, Monty mentioned the idea that he hopes that we are ever continuing to learn and and bounce ideas back and forth with each other. And that's the great thing about an mm. event like Light Hands Horsemanship is I get to go there and yes, I'll make some presentations on horsemanship, but then I'll be able to pull up my lawn chair right up next to the arena and watch mm. someone like Aton or Jack Brainerd or Monty or whoever happens to be there that year and see what they have to offer in horsemanship. If it's just a science, then okay, let's just plug in the formula and this is the answer. But if it's an art, then I need to be able to grant some of my contemporaries and certainly my mentors some latitude to express their art, perhaps in a little different way than what I would do. But there's still things to learn from that individual. I think that I would just hang this deal up and go become an auto mechanic or something if I thought that I was <laughs> going to be the same horseman today or excuse me, five years from now than I am today. I'm mm -hmm. recognizing that there is so much more out there and so much more available. I'm just, I'm just touching the tip of the iceberg right mm -hmm. now. I, this is a journey, and the farther you go, the farther you recognize that there is to go. Now, when I was 20, I had it all figured out then. My goodness, I was a bronc-stomping, horse-training son of a gun, but <laughs> not anymore. So in light hands, horsemanship this year, I'm just going to try to bring my brand, of horsemanship. It's not the method that everybody needs to follow. They don't need to do it just my way, but um, I'll be talking about how we can bring together and marry this idea of what we've now called natural horsemanship with performance horsemanship. Uh, I think that sometimes people think that they're mutually exclusive things. If you're going to be a natural horseman, then you really can't be competitive. You can't get to that major league level. And so, uh, you know, how to stay true to my principles and still ask for extraordinary physical and mental things for my horse. And so I hope to bring some of those things out of light hands. Perfect. That sounds great. I can't wait. And, and Tom, just uh, to, maybe to finish up, what are you looking forward to seeing at light hands as being a sponsor? I know that you're inspired by the whole event. What are you looking forward to? Well, the, the event is, is a great event for just people to learn. Um, but it, it, what's also very special about this event, um, it's not just what's happening in the arena in front of them. It's what's happening on the, with the, the person sitting next to them and the people that come. I mean, the, the, the interaction amongst the guests, which are last year we had people from, I think, 14 different countries. Everybody that comes here is, is, has a, a very, interesting story and 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 they basically they're here because you know of of light hands and and this but but the, the you know the camaraderie and the you know the the event you know it's it's you know the presentations in the arenas are great too but also just you know the meeting of of the people that are there um it's you know it's 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 a very special event uh in many many ways not just what's going on out there um, one of the things to finish up what you asked uh, Aton and, and Bob about, about mm -hmm. the future of, of what mm -hmm. can happen. I think one of the things that, that's the great opportunity we have now, particularly with the Internet, um, is that we can do a much better job of conveying with video through the Internet mm -hmm. um, to a mass audience. I mean, a huge audience compared, you know, that's way beyond how many people you could actually ever do a live presentation in front of. Mm -hmm. And and so that's a great um, uh, you know an opportunity to have very very high quality uh, information pr 
presented to everybody worldwide. Um, and, and, you know, we've focused on, and I came from a video background of shooting, you know, every light hand horsemanship event that's been there. Uh-huh. And, and one of the things we, we realized after about the fourth one is, boy, it's really hard to shoot great video with, um, a live event where you can't get in the way and you can't stop and you can't do it again and you can't do a close up yeah. and you can't. And so we've since then shoot highlights of the event, but we basically have come and then take each of these guys and, and shoot for the camera, not mm-hmm. for the event. And I think if folks would take a look and Richard, you can describe it. Nate, you both see how we shoot. It's, it's the net result it's not a live event, but basically the ability to convey information and show the detail and show that, you know, I lean in this way and, 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 and also, you know, just show the, a lot of people miss stuff, uh, cause it just happens too fast. And, you know, we now have a, yes. a very high speed camera that you can slow things down and see much better. Um, so I think that's a huge opportunity in the future of that, that, uh, it's not just the people that can come to an event. It's anybody that's got an internet connection, and that's now getting to be almost everybody. Yeah, that's true. Can Thank I God. One word, mm-hmm. please, please, Debbie. Yes, um, please. Uh, w- I, I think when you look at light hand event, uh, there is nothing like it. That's the only thing. That's the only one in the world who can bring you to a stage that you you just go up there and everything looks like you in heaven. Uh, it's in the air. You walk in there and you just feel that all your life you're waiting for that moment. Mm. And, and Tom Wright, you know, it's, it's, it's between the people. It's between, between one to another. We are inspiring people. I don't know we're teaching that much, but we give them so much to go home and take something with them that they are ready to go home, do what they want to do, and wait for next year to come. And I think that's what the greatest thing about the light hand. That's wonderful. That's wonderful. Yeah, we I are can add a comment to that, too. Please do, Bob. Well, <laughs> since I retired from veterinary practice, uh, my wife, Debbie, and I have traveled all over the world to doing teaching seminars and participating in educational events. And um, I'm frequently asked, What's, where's my favorite place? What's my favorite event? And I tell them, it's Light Hands Horsemanship in the Santa Inez Valley. And they'll often say, but that's right in your backyard. You're just an hour away. You, you go all over the world. Mm-hmm. Why is that your favorite? And I tell them, because I learn so much. I do from these exceptionally talented uh, people who have become very, very dear friends to us. Uh, I come away every year with new knowledge, and that's why I value it so much. That's that's I could wonderful. say something here, Debbie, if Please. you want. Mm-hmm. It's, it's Monty, and I've been collecting the thoughts here. One of the things, you know, I spent most of my life in the competition arena, and um, and yet I agree with Aton's uh, Analysis of competition, you're there to win. Uh, boy, did I learn that from my father in in very early years. Uh, you're there for one reason, and it's to win. And um, that compromises horsemanship. It has to. And that's where the 
Tennessee Walker got in trouble and the gated horses and a lot of things that have happened because I can get the horse to do this. If you say this is the degree of excellence you're looking for, I can get him to do it this way and, um, and, and you win. Um, what I think Aton would be uh, very pleased with is this latest idea in the dressage world um, that came through the Olympics last in London, the last Olympics in London, um, where the two top horses, gold and silver medal, mm-hmm. were, were fantastic horses. Um, but the one that won the silver medal was electric. He was on fire. He, he had higher elevation. He did his, um, each of his challenges with the highest marks imaginable. But in the end, in the judges' conference, I'm told, it really came down to who presented the most sympathetic picture and which horse seemed to be the happiest and how did the rider and the horse cooperate to come together with a a better show than actually the horse that was on fire who didn't seem to be enjoying his work as much as the gold medal winner. And boy, I I think, maybe Eton doesn't agree with me, but I think that this is a turning point for the dressage industry, and it's a wake-up call for all of the the contesting events or competition events on horses, that we need to emphasize um, sympathy, we need to emphasize a cohesive unit, cooperative between horse and rider. It's not that I don't agree with you, I salute you. And I maybe just concluded by saying that you know that the Cabo Dressage have a competition time now, and Cabo Dressage competition is the only discipline in the world who reward the horse and rider triple his score on soft feel. Mm-hmm. Nobody else does it. No. So I can agree with you that if the competition will start looking in harmony and partnership versus the perfect or the correct, I think we're going to change the world around. Oh, yeah, and we've, we've got to help these people with the Arab horses, particularly those shown in hand. Um, you know, their degree of excellence is set upon the horse that looks like he's got a, an electric wire attached to him. And right. um, that that's not the harmony that you're talking about, Eitan. And no, there, no. there are many, I, I, I don't want to point my finger at one, because there are many disciplines that need help. All of them need help. We all need help. But uh, but I think we're on the right track. You know, I will, I will just mention this, because uh, I do throw my hat in the ring. Uh, and for me, it's, it's my own professional development. Uh, when I go to a clinic... I'm probably about the best horseman there, and I get a gold buckle every weekend. Everybody just pats <laughs> me on the back. Nice. When I go and compete, you know, they say, Richard who? Now, what's your name, son? And I go in there, and either me and my horse are together, and we perform, or we don't. And so it, it's really a truer benchmark of where I am with my horsemanship skills. And I think that, you know, almost everybody has principles that they want to live by with their horsemanship. But when you begin to compete, then... As Monty found out as a very young boy, you also have a goal, and that goal is to come out on top. And so the trick is to maintain your principles while still striving 
four-year goal. But it's all too easy under the, the pressure of the moment or the peer pressure, whatever, to compromise our principles um, to somehow achieve a short-term goal. And so I'm striving. I don't know if I always get it done, but I'm striving to go out there and stay true to natural horsemanship and my principles of higher levels of horsemanship and uh, still compete on a competitive level. That's what I'm trying to get done. Boy, Richard, this is Monty again. I I so appreciate those words. I, I have a little story uh, against myself, really, I guess, uh, for the team. But recently I was, uh, I won nine world's championships with rain cow horses. And um, it was my life for 40 years or so. And I was recently thrown out of the Hall of Fame, even though I was president of the National Rain Cow Horse Association and was voted man of the year one year in the National Rain Cow Horse Hall of Fame. But I was thrown out. And uh, it was one guy, really, that had the power to do that. He was named the head of that committee for the Hall of Fame. And uh, I, I know him, and I showed with him, and so I called him up, and I said, what in the world did I do? I haven't been around working cow horses recently, so did I do something wrong? And he said, well, you know, I just sat there thinking that you should come out because you have not been true to tradition you have wanted to break tradition and we are here to support tradition and to revere tradition and i said i won't say his name but i said sir um you know i really do respect tradition it's where it's one of the steps that we use to get where we are but if i am required to stay the same to respect tradition, then I don't want to be in that Hall of Fame because it's absolutely against what I believe in. We can all move forward and get better. And he said, well, thank you very much and hung the phone up. So <laughs> there you are. Um, competition is a fleeting fame. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I suppose. Yeah. And, and this is the same person who will probably say that he's changed a lot in the last, I mean, everybody changes in their, in the way that they've handled horses. They've either. Yeah, he, he's changed a lot. I did mention to him that I have, um, video from South America of exactly how my father did it. And right. he yelled at me over the phone and said, well, we don't do it that way anymore. <laughs> I thought, <laughs> there you go. Wow. You're not supporting tradition. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I'd like to ask, I don't want to keep you too long. I appreciate all your times, but are there any closing thoughts that you'd like to pitch in here? Well, I have one. Please. Uh, I just want to say that uh, how eagerly uh, Debbie and I are looking forward to uh, attending Light Hands Horsemanship again. I This is, I believe, our ninth. Is that right? Is that right? That's great, Bob. It's the highest part of the year. Uh, look forward to seeing everybody. Well, thank I think you we were all young when we started it. We were young, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, where is Jack in this phone call? Yeah, that's where you got to get Jack Brainerd Jack on is there. counting his ears. <laughs> he's what? He's 90, 94 now. I Good. think so, yeah. What, okay. what? You know, I've known him for, I guess, 50, 60 years. And, uh, and I, I just want to say that it, I haven't had that much to do with the light hands thing. And you, you guys know that 
I'm traveling almost every time you have one, although I've been to two, I think, and uh, I, I certainly uh, completely uh, in, in favor of this kind of thing, and I congratulate each of you for having founded it and put it on. I hope it never goes away. And um, I, I really feel that the, that the goals of the Light Hands Clinic so parallel mine that um, you know, I'm just I'm just one of those troops out there digging ditches for you. And I I really thank you for all that you've done, each and every one of you. And Eton, I was there at Weg in in the stand, and I'm so happy to be able to talk to you. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I I don't know whether any of you know this or or knew him, but um, Carlos Gracida was killed day before yesterday. Uh, Ten goal world's leading polo player for many, many years. Mm-hmm. And he was killed in Wellington, Florida. And uh, his brother Memo was also 10 goals. And they have been helping me with easing up on and getting violence out of the process of training horses in Argentina for polo. Right. And, right. Uh, yeah. you know, if you, if you just have a chance to stop for a minute and think about Carlos Cresida, he's a, he was a good guy. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for that moment. Yeah. Well, I I do I just did a quick head count of the years between all of you involved in horses and it's about 300 years. So we yeah. just <laughs> we just uh tapped on a lot of knowledge between the the five of you and I really appreciate your time. I hope we can do this again sometime. It's a wonderful forum and and uh I'm sure our audience will love to hear more from your your depth of knowledge. Thank you all for joining us. Thank you. Okay. uh, Thank you. It's a privilege. It's a privilege to be here. And And actually, if they'd like to see if people haven't seen about Light Hands Horsemanship, you can just go to the lighthandshorsemanship.com website, and there's also a link from there to our website where we have over 60 videos from different uh, the each of the light hands horsemen and then oh. one of every other one of the years that we've been there so uh and That's including great. the most recent one with this super cool high speed camera so we slow it down so you can see everything oh That's i look forward to sharing it. Yeah. we'll we'll put uh, the website in the show notes too so people can just click on the link so i'm really Congrats, excited to hear congratulations about from monty and and uh, good luck with your next event yes thank you thank you I look monty. forward to talking to you later thanks monty Thank you for joining us on Horsemanship Radio, you all. Hi, I'm Monty Roberts, and I know that I'm transforming the lives of horses globally. You can learn to do it, too, on my Equus Online University. There's a new lesson on there each week, all the way from join up to advanced. Watch world's champions give their lessons. Join at MontyRoberts.com. Go to my Equus Online University you can transform your horse, too. Well, that was fascinating. I absolutely love the roundtables, and I love when you get that many people together that they can all, you know, share and, and look at the knowledge that was in on that call. Unbelievable. Yeah, unbelievable. And, and you know, you ask the question, and you just don't know what they're going to say, but I was hanging on every word because... You just know the depth of the experience it's coming from. And, uh, and I love when you put brains like that together to feed off of each other. Cause how often do these guys really get together? They apparently at the light hands they do, but, uh, how often do they really get to just relax and talk to each other about the future of horsemanship? 
And uh, you, all of the ladies out in the audience should be mighty pleased that we have these uh-huh. five tough old Western guys saying that women <laughs> have changed the industry. So there I you go. I agree. I think they said they, they're taking it over. And that yeah, is, exactly. yeah, I think so too. Yeah, it is sort of ironic that we had five men talking about women taking over the industry. But gals, we'll get there. I, I you know, it's just so fun to see some of these young uh, ladies coming up, uh, women coming up in uh, the clinician's world, the training world. We've had Sandy Colliers on and and those people that have just dominated, uh, Charlotte Bredal and Dressage. But it is fun to see these young clinicians that are coming along. And I think that's who, what the guys were talking about. They're saying that women are nurturing. They get the empathetic. They're compassionate. And why would they want to hit their horse, especially if a guy like Robert Miller or Monty Roberts is telling them they don't have to? Right. Exactly. And I did look up some details. It's May 29th to June the 1st, 2014. And as you said, it's out your way in California. Uh, some of the people that are going to be there, of course, are Dr. Robert Miller, who you just heard. You just heard Richard Winters. He's going to be there. Aton's going to be there, as well as uh, several others. I see Marianne Kennedy is going to be there. We play her music all the time on Horses in the Morning. She's Beautiful. a musician, and and many others are going to be there as well. So it's a it's lot of fun. Definitely something you'd want to see. It says right here, it's ninety days and ten hours from now. So get okay. Signed. Oh, that's right. <laughs> get signed up. Right. That's right. A lot of fun, and you know they have cowboy poetry, and you know it's a well-rounded. It, you really do feel like a, you've been to camp when it's over. It's like I don't want to go home. It's but that, really fun. But that isn't all. We're not done yet because I'll tell you what, we got a fascinating conversation coming up that we were able to record with your dad here uh, uh, this week. And I just found it so interesting when he you can tell when he gets on a topic that he is just so fascinated with and how excited he gets about it. And one of those topics we're going to hear about next. Uh, and you know, what was the term again? And I'm trying to remember it. Yeah, it's a long word. It's a mouthful. It's ritualistic habituation. Welcome back, Monty Roberts. Dad, I'm happy to have you back. We've been talking a little bit more about this uh, this developing, hmm, what would you call ritualistic habituation? Uh, a natural behavioral uh, event. Great. Well, I know you've been working at this for some time now, and we wanted to follow, as an audience, we wanted to follow along with your um, your development, your thinking, what you've discovered, what you still have questions about. You were working with Leroy the deer, and you, of course, you, I know you always are applying any of these to what you do with your horses as well. So I just wanted to, I just wanted to let you talk today and and share with us more about where where your ritualistic habituation study stands today. Well, it's pretty deep, Debbie, and, and some people that just want to go ride their horse and sing a tune or something, mm-hmm. um, you know, may not find it uh, fathomable. Uh, but there is a thing going on in nature that I've discovered, and I call it ritualistic habituation. And the reason that I do is that the deer that I work with, the wild deer, never been in a pen, they haven't been raised on a bottle or some silly thing like that. They are wild deer. Not so wild anymore because I've been able to change that behavior quite a lot. But I've watched them for almost 50 years now in the same family group. And of course that means that I've dealt with about seven or eight generations. Mm -hmm. Uh, But 
it's unbelievable how they have rituals. And I remember grandma way back, and now this is before I ever thought about uh, this, this particular behavioral uh, pattern, but grandma was always on the southeast side of the family group. Mm-hmm. And where I worked with them, it just so happens that Solvang, the little village, was on the southeast side. Right. And what I learned from that was that all the family of deer would look to the leader for protection. And it's always a female that leads these flight animal groups. It's the lead mare and it's the lead doe. And grandma would be, because she was the matriarchal leader, she would be between her family and the potential danger that might come from that village over there with the lights on. And because the deer are so nocturnal, I had to work with them at night most of the time. Late evening, early morning, but uh, a lot at night, right in the middle of the night. And I, I remember back these patterns of behavior that grandma taught me. And one of the things that she taught me was don't dart your eyes, move them slowly, drag them as if they're in heavy oil. And when I learned that, I jumped in my pickup and ran down there and started getting horses out that I'd mm-hmm. had trouble with yeah. and wasn't getting good join-ups and wasn't getting good cooperation. Okay. And suddenly, with what Grandma taught me about my eyes, I could do things with horses that I could never do before. And it just stunned me. So I kept working with these deer. And about four years ago, which seems like a breath to me, it seems like yesterday, about four years ago, I noticed a pattern of habitual behavior. And it was like a ritual, but I, I didn't know enough about it. I just kept watching. And then there was a little male born that I followed with my eyes closely because at one point in his early development, he had a broken jaw somehow. I don't know whether he got out in front of a car or what happened, but he broke his jaw. And we had to put out some feed for him, and so he would come around because it was the only way he could live, and he would lick up moistened, warm water on grain. Uh, He would lick it up, and he could masticate that and uh, Mm -hmm. swallow it and, and stayed alive. So I did watch his pattern more closely, and ultimately I could sit down on a rock wall outside of our house And providing that I held my fingers in a certain place, and providing that I kept my eyes in a certain place, and providing that I did not uh, look up at him, he would come down, jump off the wall on my left side, walk a circle around me, jump up on the wall again, walk a circle behind me and jump down again, and then cross in front of me and face me. Hmm. And once he did that, then he started taking singular, tiny steps toward me. And I thought, whoa, what's going on? And I looked up and he's gone. He just leapt in the air and flew away. So that night in my sleep, I, uh, you know, when I was in bed, I thought it was the looking up. That's what grandma taught me all those years ago, but I couldn't stand it because he was walking toward me. So... 
The next day, he came back. He went through his same ritual. That big circle stopped in front of me, and I kept my head down, and he kept making his steps toward me. And eventually, he had his head right in front of me. I moved my hand to see if I could touch him, and he's gone. Hmm. And then it progressed, and I got, I was able to move my hand very slowly, and eventually I could rub him all over his body, but not until he completed his ritual. And one of the things that happened in that ritual was that before I could touch him, he would smell the, the skin between my thumb and my forefinger, that little web that we have there mm-hmm. on each hand. And if he wasn't allowed to smell there, he wouldn't let me touch him. Hmm. I lost him maybe 10 different days because I didn't let him smell there. And I didn't realize. And finally, he pushed his nose right there quickly. And I thought, that's what you want, so I'll let you do it. And I let him smell both places, and then I could rub him. Hmm. And I rubbed him all over. And it's gone on now for three years. This business of him allowing me to rub him all over, I can put flea and tick powder on him. Um, he comes, he has to walk his circle and take a quick smell of my hands. And then I've passed the TSA security check and he allows me (laughs) to get my hands on him. Now, others have watched him and you can talk about this learned behavior if you want. Mm -hmm. Others have watched him and now I have one that I call Kim and Kim comes in, but much more wild. I haven't, I've only had one year with her. And I've only been touching her for about four months. So, And I'm not here that much, so I really don't have that much time to yeah. work with her. But anyway, she's doing fantastically, moving forward, moving forward. And I have another one called Jackie. And Jackie is a boy, and I've rubbed him now. And there's eight of them that I've touched oh. in this family group. And each one of them has a different ritual. Now, how does this come to horses? We have been teaching horses or training horses for 6,000 years in a certain way. And most every trainer will agree. I go out there every day and I do this and this and this. And by golly, I turn him around to the left and I turn him around to the right. And uh, sometimes he doesn't like turning one way or the other, but I just make him do it. And... um, yeah, I guess I guess that's human, all right. But what he wants is a ritual until it's in his muscle memory. So I say, watch your horse. Let him tell you what his little ritual is, and then ask him. And when you ask him, let him learn one thing. Maybe it's just turned to the right. Let him learn one thing until it's in his muscle memory. Really well in his muscle memory and he can do it like a pro then ask a little bit of left don't do it both ways in the same day it's overload for the flight animal Mm -hmm. for the prey animal it's too much i only know that now and i've only learned it in the last three years Mm. but it's there and i've tried it with the horses and it works I'm in my round pen, and I don't ask them for as many things anymore. I've, I've lessened the load on their intellectual abilities. And I have 
zeroed in on certain little things that I get them to do, and they're perfectly happy with it. If you overload them, then you'll get them bucking somebody off or bolting away or spooking from something because they're not happy with their surroundings. Mm -hmm. You have to cause them to be in charge of their own security system. And they tell you what sort of ritual they need to do to clear you off. Now, this is very complicated. It's deep. It's over the top, probably, for anybody that's just, you know, training horses or just riding horses. But it's there. And if you just log that in your memory okay. and ask yourself to, to watch for it, okay. I think there will be a lot of horsemen. I know that Ryan Pendergast has already said that he's seeing it. Um, and Ryan's the, the gentleman that you worked with in Australia recently. I worked with him in, mm -hmm. in Australia. Mm -hmm. He's only about, well, I think he's less than 30, 26, 27 years of age. A baby, yeah. Yeah, okay. and, he's, and, <laughs> and, and he's only been um, working in, in, for Gay Waterhouse where, where I go and start babies and things. Uh -huh. He's only been working there for about a year. And right. I don't know where he's learned all that he's learned. But I've only had him for a week, and he knows oh. my system yeah. as well as I do. He's just an amazing young man. Yeah. Well, I, I, I know he's studied the videos on Equus Online University, which has helped his language, his communication system that you that you yeah. quantify well, which is good. Um, and and I think one of the things that uh, I'm thinking as and trying to be the student here listening to you is, I'm hearing you say that the incremental is not about how smart the horse is or how not smart the horse is, but it's about their fear-based um, emotions that they've got in there, about how um, how difficult it is for them to trust while you're doing the work. So if somebody says to you, um, ah, you don't understand, Monty, my horse is really smart. He can get that left and right in one day. Don't worry about it. Yeah, and I say, you're absolutely right. Your horse is really smart. Now it's time for you to get smart too. And there are horses with greater intelligence than another. And that horse that's really smart will do better if we get it right with him than okay. if we say he's smart enough to do it, so I'm just going to do it anyway. Mm -hmm. um, that isn't a good answer because uh, you want to optimize his learning. You want to optimize his performance and move him to the excellence of athleticism that he's capable of to the maximum degree possible. And that's where I say we have been going too quickly. We have been complicating the, the lessons too much mm -hmm. and that I'm able to get a rider on these horses still in about average 27 minutes, uh, a horse that's never had saddle or rider, uh, while being true to this particular theory that I'm talking about. Okay. I think that my time will probably go up a minute or two, but that's it. Uh, but I won't ask them to do a lot of the things that I have asked them to do before. Yeah. I will leave it out for now, and I will talk to my owners. I'll try to get them to take courses. I'll try to get my instructors to understand ritualistic habituation mm -hmm. because I think it will be eventually that huge step above and beyond what I've learned in my time and what most horsemen have learned in this particular, you know, 21st century. When we get out there 
50 to 100 years from now, I think you will see this become a, a known fact mm. and one that's used by uh, the majority of horse people. Do you have any plans for it to be uh, you know, put into a, a trial, a research project, or anything like that? Or is it just you fooling with it right now? Well, there's, there's plans in my mind for that. Okay. Uh, I, I would love to do it. It's one of the reasons, Debbie, that I ask you to invite Dr. Andrew McLean mm-hmm. to our, uh, our upcoming May uh, gathering of instructors. Right. Uh, because he's a scientist, and I know that the group we talked with before uh, didn't want horsemanship to be a science at all. And that's okay with me. If they want to call it an art form, it's okay with me. But it is a science-based art form, mm-hmm. sure. and there are things about in science which have improved the ability of artists to put paintings on canvas. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, since the days of uh, Michelangelo or something, um, there there have been improvements through through science. So. I don't want to just dismiss science completely, but I do not think that we ever ought to be run by a scientific lab. Uh, I think it is an art form, and I think we have to learn it as an art form. But we can also be scientific enough to do the proper sort of investigations, sure. scientific mm-hmm. trials, mm-hmm. that that will prove or disprove these theories that uh, we tend to come up with. Very exciting. It's very exciting that you, you're able to transfer those concepts of the deer that have such a flight mechanism, much higher than a horse's, to. Um, I'm, I'm curious about the scent, too. It must be a gland thing, you're thinking? or You know, the- it's, it's curious, Debbie. I, I went into a uh, duty-free shop in an airport, and um, there was an, a nice Asian lady there that I've, I've talked with before when I go to buy your mother something or... Um, or, or just go in to look at a watch or something like that. Anyway, this lady told me that they love to test for compatibility of the aura of their uh, subject. Ah, person. right, right. They love to test perfume right there on that little web between your thumb and your pointer finger. Oh, they use that spot. Oh, that's interesting. They, they do. And then she said, watch this, and she put some scent on me of some sort. <laughs> and I smelled it, and it seemed all right. And then she took a little cotton ball and put al- had alcohol on it, uh-huh. and she scrubbed it like a dish you'd do, you know. And um, <laughs> and then she put a different one on, and she said you can bounce back and forth and and um, get a pretty good idea okay. of how a perfume or a cologne fits the body that you're putting it on. Does it fit the aura? And this deer goes there. Now, I see Kim doing the same thing, not as um, overtly as uh, Leroy does, but Kim reaches over there and just takes a little whiff. Um, If you allow Leroy, he'll bury his nose right in that web and leave Mm -hmm. it there and really drink in uh, Mm -hmm. the aura of your body. I don't have all the answers. I haven't wild horses anymore uh, due to, you know, raising horses in such a domesticated setting. So it's cool that you have these wild horses to be able to. Yeah, we, we, have, we have deals with people that raise them on large properties or 
the BLM. Of course, the BLM puts them on trucks and um, yeah. they're, they're adopted and that's, so forth. That's worse than untouched, though. That's a little bit. <laughs> that, it is worse than untouched, yeah. But, um, but yes, uh, with the school here and everything, uh, we have a fantastic untouched facility here. Mm-hmm. And so we're, we're able to allow the horse to smell our hand, for instance, mm-hmm. um, very quickly in the training process so that we don't humanize the horse before we get his natural tendencies. And that's, that's exciting for me. I, I just, I just watched them do two horses in this past week here since returning from Australia. Um, we had a, uh, uh, course here, an advanced course, um, mm-hmm. of, five youngsters trying to become uh, instructors mm-hmm. and uh, we had two totally untouched that they worked with and it was amazing uh, what they did it's just absolutely uh, mind-blowing what these kids are able to do now with the proper facilities and yeah. with the proper education that's it yeah it's really exciting to watch you could charge tickets for that stuff it's really good and they're amazing too because they keep that pulse rate down they keep their adrenaline low and they just go at it um, yeah. incrementally like you say well thank you so much thanks for the follow-up on that dad and um, and keep us informed about um, I think you have some other people playing with this in different areas we'd like to hear from them too if uh, if you all get together I know in May you'll get together with your instructors meetup and maybe there will be something out of that that'll be interesting as follow-up for people yeah and wait till your your listeners mm-hmm. uh, hear about the police in Brazil ah we gotta get to that story too that's great yes that is yeah life that's life so changing exi- that's so exciting in the the yeah. Queen of England is is so over the moon about it. Um, wow! Look, there's a name dropper. We've got the Police Academy and the Queen of England. Wait for that story upcoming. <laughs> we're, we're teasing yeah, them. Well, she's she's certifying these people that are reaching out to yeah. um, arrive at another level of of nonviolence, and okay. uh, and the Queen is helping me with that, and she's so excited about it, and it really is something to. Uh, to get into and to learn about. Well, well, we'll hit you up for that one too. We'll get you back on the phone after the next tour. Thanks for joining us. Some people don't think horses and people communicate. We call those people not horse people. Not horse people don't know you and your horse share a unique bond or that your horse knows you know they like your dogs, but not so much the barking. At Sentinel Horse Nutrition, we don't knock not horse people. We're too busy focusing on horse people's horses. With extruded nugget feeds for exceptional nutrition and formulas for every need, our wide choice of feeds makes it easy to find the fit for your horse's health. Find theirs at FeedSentinel.com. Where in the world is Monty Roberts? Monty is looking forward to meeting some new friends, two-legged and four-legged, in in England, March 15, 21, and 29, and in Germany, April 4, April 6, April 8, 11, and 13. And on May 31, we have a night of inspiration with Monty and Pat at Flag is Up Farms in California. There's limited space there, so book early. The next day, we have an all-day workshop called Life Lessons from the Man Who Listens to Horses. And Monty shares his learned and life experiences to apply to your own life. Dr. Sue Kane and I wrote a book called Life Lessons. It's really a workbook to spark your own journey. So write to admin at montyroberts.com or call on the Pacific Coast, 805-688-6288.
For details about today's show, go to horsemanshipradio.com where you can find links, photos, and more information about our guests. And of course, one of the easiest ways to listen to the show is to download it to your smartphone. Whether you have an iOS or an Android, you can just go to the App Store and search for Horse Radio Network. It's free and it's easy and it's the simplest way to listen to all 11 of the shows on the Horse Radio Network. Yay, we're getting up there. As always, we love your feedback. So please follow us on Facebook at www.facebook.com forward slash Monty Roberts and Twitter at twitter.com forward slash Monty underscore Roberts. And many thanks to our sponsors. Be sure to visit all the other great shows on the Horse Radio Network at horseradionetwork.com. And until then, have many happy horse hours. (laughs) 